Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. Today's episode is brought to you by nobody. Because let's be honest, nobody likes to hear ads. We all just put up with it because we think we have to. Well, you know what? I decided let's not do that for the time being and see how we get along. So let's get into what we all came here for, the actual episode. All right, folks, today we have back with us Mr. Dane Lee, a recovery specialist, and he wants to, well, and he wanted, we ended up talking about redefining recovery. And I think it it was a really powerful podcast about how Dane has spent a lot of time over the last few months really changing how he perceives the whole idea of recovery and making it an easier way to talk to his clients about how to make recovery easier for them, easier to understand, uh, make it a whole system and a program with a point system and individually customized to each individual person. It was really interesting. I really believe that you can get a lot of great tips out of this podcast and there's certainly more to be learned from Dane so we will certainly have him back on the show very very soon without any further ado please sit back strap in and enjoy our conversation greetings and welcome to another episode of the uncensored humanity podcast i'm your host matt hess and today we have back with us mr dane lee dane how we doing sir doing well how are you doing good So if you guys haven't listened to Dane's first episode, we kind of got to know Dane a little bit. Now, granted, I do what I normally do, and I get a little too excited and we get bullshitting. The whole idea of Dane coming on last time was a talk like Recovery 101. And I got to know Dane a little bit, and I think like two and a half hours later, we were like, we probably shouldn't put the recovery part on the end of this. We, <laughs> so we recorded another one. Uh, we, got, we got him to stick around, and we recorded like a quick like uh, 30 or 40 minute episode, kind of like recovery stuff. Uh, so he, he is, uh, well, I guess, how would you explain what it is that you do? That's a really good question. <laughs> I know, right? Um, because uh, I'm kind of in a flux right now with it. Okay. Like that's a big thing that I've been working on quite a bit. Um I'm in graduate school for exercise physiology. And one of the things I had a conversation with my advisor about was like this idea of pursuing a doctorate level in recovery. Okay. And that's Is something like that actually available. No, it doesn't exist. Um, So that's what's made it interesting. An interesting conversation. I feel like I'm in flux because because you do what you do. You do. um, It's not really massage, right? It's, it's, how how would you define it? It's like a recovery, uh, focused um, muscle like it started with massage like this idea of soft tissue work but there we go soft tissue work the manual therapy for sports massage has always been really misunderstood i think and it's i i hesitate when i say this because i know that there are people out there who know this stuff it's just that it's not widely spread so i don't want to stand on a soapbox when i say this kind of thing like look down on people because there's different fields within manual therapy but the idea of sports massage, it's not just that you work on athletes. It's that you work on the body in order to have an influence on the nervous system for different phases that they're in. And you have to take timing into account. Like That's what makes it a sports 
massage. So like if you came to me after you got done, like directly got done doing uh, heavy clean and jerk or snatch, I have to do a different massage on you than if you come to me two days after that. Or if okay. you're in preparation for competition, like that's a very different manual therapy session. You have to take all that into account, which is different than therapeutic, which um, they both have a specific purpose or intention that you're doing it, but you don't have to take into a, a number of outside factors that the athlete's going through. So that's where it all started was this idea, like there has to be more, like there needs to be more education on how to do that. And if you can do that, like what else can you do? Okay. So I looked into the other realms to go into it and then realizing, well, there isn't much education or information on that. Well, why isn't there? Well, because for the most part, when people go beyond that, they start going towards like sports chiropractic or sports physical therapy. Okay. Which is more like a, of a specific kind of a genre, right? right? It's like very, very much a niche thing. Right. And so I thought, well, should I go in that direction? And then just started to, it never felt like it sit well with me on that. And I couldn't figure out why until within the past six months, really. And honestly, the clarification of it came around during quarantine and the shutdown okay. with coronavirus, where I had a lot of time to just write and get it out and to clarify thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Kind of get your thoughts down on paper and see exactly what was going on. And I've, before we go too far, yeah, here. go ahead. So, so nonetheless, so, so, so Dana's a lot of recovery stuff. Lots, yeah, okay. lots, I never lots, actually answered the question. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> lots of different things. Um, but nonetheless, um, in the in the first episode that he was on, we got to know Dane. Uh, that was a interesting podcast. I immensely enjoyed getting to know you. We had a lot of fun doing that. Was that. A lot of fun. Um, so please go back and listen to that one, and then listen to the Recovery One Hundred and One podcast, which I believe is the very next episode. We got Dane to stick around and record for us, and now we're back on. So I, I do want to jump into this yeah. of kind of what your what, what has changed in the last six months, like whether you've been talking to your advisor and everything else, because before you were doing a lot more, like you said, the soft tissue work, yeah. doing more of that kind of stuff. Uh, that was pretty much your main focus, mm-hmm. right? So so now what, what's what's been changing? What's going on differently? Uh, but a year and a half ago, I came up with this idea of doing recovery programming, which isn't it wasn't a lot different at first than uh, some of the things that are out there where they say, hey, you need to have an active recovery day. Here's the stuff you're going to do. Um, that kind of stuff exists. It has existed yeah. for a while. I think people only really do stuff like that like when they're injured mm-hmm. and doing physical therapy and doing things like that, activation drills and what have you. But they don't think about it as just their normal part of being an athlete right. and doing their routine. So what I did was in, I was having a conversation with the gym owner. And he was talking about why he does certain percentages with the timing that he does and the programming that he provides. He's like, hey, I'm going to do an 80% deadlift on this day because I know that two weeks later um, they're going to take a heavy squat and they need to be ready for you know whatever percentage that is. And there's a lot of calculation he does with the percentages so that they have an opportunity to recover from that and to compensate appropriately. And I looked at that and thought, well, what if you could do something on a certain day that helped you to recover like specifically faster from that one exercise or that one workout and when would you have to do it and came up with a a system of quantifying it and that turned into the recovery programming and then i went through and i made this like excel spreadsheet that showed the point system that went along with it i go okay because i'm a systems nerd like this is really fun what else could i do with it okay 
So then I looked at the actor recovery component. Like if you put in certain principles on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, how much would they help you to recover? What is, how does that change things? And that turned into what I coined as nervous system management. So those two parts came into it. So then I started doing consultations with people to help them understand you know, what they can do for themselves. Yeah, because obviously you have to explain to them yeah. the benefits of what it is you're trying to do for them because they have yeah. to buy in. Otherwise, they're not going to do the work. Right. And I realized like, the consultation part was just an extension of what I was already doing. Most people around the table. So I would, okay. Like, I can't help but talk about what I'm doing. Like, I realize that some people are laying there and they're like, I don't give, give a shit. Yeah, they, about... <laughs> they just want to put their face down, yeah, put their like, headphones in and just like, let you go to work. Just work on me. Do what you have to do. I don't need to know why you're doing it. But some people are interested. And when I realize that they are uh, and I start explaining it to them, I get a lot of fulfillment in being able to educate the athlete on why we're doing what we're doing. I think that comes from the coaching background of like always explain why. Yeah. And then I realized that sometimes people don't need the benefit of the massage as much as they need the benefit of the education. Like you need to know why you should be doing the things for yourself more than you need me to do this right now. And there's a benefit to me working on you. Absolutely. But like you need the best practices for you as an individual and like this specific training that you're doing to do on a daily basis because you see you every single day. You're going to see me, what, at most once a week, if you're lucky? Yeah. Maybe once a month for most people? Probably more realistic, yeah. So it's like, what should you be doing the other 29 days out of the month when you're not seeing me? Because you're going to see, even if it's like 10% of the benefit that I can give you during the session, that's 10% every single day, which is a massive increase. Yeah. So I quantified it. Because, again, I'm a systems nerd. I thought it was fun. <laughs> and I realized, like, you can show people this. You can just give them a visual representation and show the and graph. I think that's important to a lot yeah. of people. If you can really graph that out and have it make sense. And, again, not just be bullshit. Right. Where you're just trying to sell them crap so you can make a bunch of money. Which, which knowing you, obviously, is not the case. And that's what the last year and a half has been. Is like, how do I make this in a way where I can show people it isn't bullshit? Because I don't want to hype something up and... So coming back to the idea, like the things I've been writing during quarantine, you're surrounded by just shit on social media about increase your recovery. And they don't say how or why. Oh, yeah. Because they're like just trying much. to sell you something. Yeah. It's like this catch all word of recovery. It yeah. doesn't mean anything. No. And I hate that. I'm just you're overloaded with all of these images and ads where they're like, use this product, increase your recovery. Do this. You'll sleep better. Increase your recovery. And they're not wrong. But in the same way that they're not right. Because they're not telling you to what degree or in what way. Because well, yeah, that's the problem. Like when you when you're almost too general with yeah. things, you, you're certainly being honest. If you get better sleep, you recover better. If, mm-hmm. if you take active recovery days, or you do self massage, or foam rolling, or like stretching, or activation yeah. drills, or whatever, yeah, you're going to get better. But if it's not specific for you, is it really going to help all that much? Right. And so I wanted to answer: How is it going to help? What's the best way to do it? And I felt like the best way to do it would be to first be able to define recovery for people. And then from that explanation of what is recovery, how do you then extrapolate that into the different parts and build that into a system of education and find a way to bake that or make that into a curriculum? Okay. And that's what I took to my advisor. It's like, how do I do this? Um, he's so like, were you talking like... How do you structure the whole thing or how do you define it or 
what 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 was it that you were looking for guidance on? How to how to structure it? Okay, so yeah. more how to structure things. Because yeah. I took the idea of recovery and I said it's the ability to return to the self-imposed baseline, and that's more from an athletic standpoint. Okay, can you explain that a little bit deeper? Um, so everyone's homeostasis is going to be different. And there's okay. a number yes. of factors. Yes. That go into Some that. people's normals, just like LeBron James is normal is different than my yeah, normal, like, right? It's like, he's way a high performing athlete. Right. Like I'm not like, it is what it is. Right. right. So his normal is a self-imposed normal. So he works really, really hard and has a number of factors in order to maintain a certain baseline. So his recovery is how does he get back to that baseline versus yours versus mine versus an 80 year old woman versus a, you know, a 12 year old kid. Those are all different homeostatic baselines. So you have to first be able to figure out, like, what is that baseline? And then if you can do that, you can figure out what do I have to do? Like, what practices do I have to impose to get back to it? Keep going. Oh, okay. Um Sorry, I'm I'm writing some things down. So Dane's like, <laughs> I'll give you a second to write that down. Like, no, keep going. <laughs> they can't see I'm writing it down. It's okay. <laughs> um, so if you're able to figure out what the definition for recovery is and you're able to then figure out what are some things that help someone's recovery, you can then figure from there what are the things that you have to know more about to better understand that so you can eventually educate okay. people on it. And that's where the curriculum comes from. So I came up with um, – it. Uh, at least 11 areas that I felt a undergraduate to graduate level of education should be encouraged. And some of these are already somewhat involved, but they're involved from the exercise physiology standpoint, not so much from the recovery standpoint. And they're, they're very related. So having strength and conditioning in there so that you better understand programming and phases and cycles and the effect on the body. Okay. The next one for nutrition. Yeah, we have some nutrition classes that we take, but they're incredibly general. Even at the graduate level, they're very general because we're not going into uh, dietetics. Yeah, I mean, as a nutritionist, even like doctors have like a very basic understanding of nutrition. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you really focus specifically on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the, the stuff that you get in school is like, okay, it's basic stuff that you can learn on YouTube in 10 minutes. I mean, let's, right. let's be real honest. I mean, cause, but don't tell nutritionists that. Oh no, 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 no. It's, but it's different for nutritionists because they're trying to study like the yeah. effects on the body and everything else. But generally we can like, okay, you know, cut out sugar, eat real food, you know, like eat, eat, eat in season. Yeah. Kind of thing, eat, like, eat lots of greens and yeah. bright things for all the minerals and nutrients and all those kind of things. Like we can all kind of get along with that. The right. problem is it's like, well, ice cream's fucking delicious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, I know I struggle with that personally. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, I'll, I'll admit it. Like I'm addicted to sugar mm-hmm. and I know me. It's like, if I don't get a little bit of it, like often, then I will binge and go, go crazy for right. like a couple of weeks. It won't be like a day. It's not like, oh, well, I'm gonna go to the store and buy a packet of Oreos and murder that whole thing. It's right. like, no, I'm going to do that for a week. Right. And it's like, that's not good. Right. <laughs> And what's really fun for me is figuring out for people, not just the the general information on how it affects you, but the specific information on how it affects you. So um, I did blood work about six years ago and found out that I have a number of food sensitivities. Like one of them is celiacs. Like that's when I found out it was only six years ago. And I mean, honestly, every time that I come up with a scenario that I think is interesting to pass on to somebody, it's a self-reflection. It's figure, having the ability to educate someone based on I was really messed up. Here's what I did. And 
here were all the things I had to basically self-teach, you know, just go through like a process of autodidactic learning and just now, say. Now, explain that for people who don't know what that is. Uh, like self-teaching. Okay. Like going well, through. The autodidactic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, self-taught. Um, which, unfortunately, doesn't carry a lot of weight in the eyes of professionals. No, it certainly doesn't. But it really does well with your clients. Yes. That's that's one thing that I've noticed when, when I do like coaching or when I'm talking to friends or we're just hanging out doing whatever. It's like if I can say, hey, I've been where you're at. I know exactly mm-hmm. what you're going through. This is what I found. Right. They're more likely to listen than it's like, hey, do this. Right. And I got to be careful because you're not supposed to say like, hey, you should go do this. Because well, that's, I- that's also the problem with nutrition is mm-hmm. everyone is so different that everyone – they're just they're going to react differently on everything, which is right. why I, why I love the uh, with the elimination diet. Mm-hmm. That, that's the one thing because I'm normally not in like the fad diets any of that kind of stuff. I'm more of the hey, eat real food, cut out the bullshit. You know, don't have anything that your grandparents wouldn't have eaten because right. it's not real food, like all that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, okay, like you can have some cookies or a cake if you're at a birthday party. Like, don't yeah. be the asshole. Like, no, I don't eat cake. I would don't never be, have that processed yeah, food. Don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're at the birthday party. Have a freaking piece of cake. Now, yeah. you don't need to do what I do and have like a quarter of it because like, oh my God, I sing. <laughs> All of this is <laughs> yes, You don't need to do that. But <laughs> it's like, you need to have some kind of stuff in there. Like, yeah. that all makes sense. But I love the elimination diet of just cutting out almost everything, really. Mm-hmm. And then just slowly adding things back in one at a time and seeing what your body likes and doesn't yeah. like because we all have some kind of food allergies of some sort. Yeah. And you may or may not realize what it's really doing to your body. Most of us, probably have it in some sort of inflammation Mm -hmm. and you may just not realize it until you actually eat clean for a few weeks and then let maybe add back in dairy and like ooh, i don't process dairy well i should really limit that i'm not saying cut it out but you should really limit that you know and kind of go about it that way i think that's a great thing to do but yeah all these like fad diets and this and that like you can't stick with them no you just can't um the thing that i really liked about the the blood work that I did and the food sensitivity thing that I did was that it did a breakdown of how much of an elimination you should do for how long on certain foods, which was really nice where it said, um, Hey, these foods over here that are in red, you should cut those out for like nine months because that's how long the particular sensitivities or the, um, markers that were in my body for an inflammatory reaction to them. That's nine how months. nine months. That's how long they kind of hang out. Holy shit. Then there was a six-month, a three-month, and a one-week. And then there was this green panel. So it's like, just the different foods you right. mean. Okay. Yeah. So so certain ones last yeah. so long. Certain ones are short. I'm thinking like, everything takes nine months? Holy no, hell. No. But, okay. Um, that's what felt really good about it is a lot of times with diets, they don't give you quite as much framework with it. And so they're like, cut everything out. And you're like, but what about blank? And it's the restriction can be very... Uh, frightening to people. Yes. They're like, oh, I'll never be able to eat this again. It's like, no, you can. You just have to know how long. And this is where, again, the, the systems nerd in me comes out where it's like, look how structured this is. Therefore, I feel empowered by the information. As yeah, a- but I think having that kind of information, being able to show someone that mm-hmm. is so powerful. Oh, yeah. Instead of just like, you can never have that again. Whereas right. they're going to freak out like, well, I can't do that. That's unreasonable. It's right. like, of course. Like, we all know this. It's the same as like, you know, I'm only going to eat this or that and I'm going to do this and just, I'm going to do this forever. And it's like, you're setting yourself up to fail. Like, right. it will not work. Right. Like, we have to understand human psychology here. It's like, you're going to get so far along and be like, 
oh, well, I want a cheeseburger, so I guess I might as well just cheat every day. Screw it. I don't right. care. I'm done with all exactly. of it. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's just kind of how it works. That's why I, I hate the fad diets. They just drive yeah. me crazy. I like the some of the principles that are in them, but what's this is hopefully not going to go off on too much of a tangent. You ever notice that like with a lot of fad diets, there's a common principle in the same way that there's a lot of common principles between religion, where it's just like, be a good person, like do unto others as you would have to do unto you, like regardless of the specifics of the religion? Well, I think that's the one interesting thing about religion that most people don't think about because they don't look at other religions. Right. If you look at different religions, you realize they're very similar. Mm-hmm. They're actually much more the same than they are different. But everybody wants to sit there and argue and bicker and moan. Like, yeah. oh, well, mine's the right one. Yours is the wrong one. Like, aren't you guys all praying to the same God? Isn't it like, or are there multiple? Like, what are, we, what are we doing here? What's going on? And you take that. So that concept between a lot of these diets or lifestyles, because I think people misinterpret the word diet often as like caloric restriction, um, as opposed to like the change in what you're going to continue eating. Um well, I think that's because most people are a little overweight and need to lose weight. So when they go on a diet, they right. clean up their eating. They are at a caloric deficit, so they can hopefully lose weight. But some people, concept, yeah. some people want to gain weight. Yeah. So you're you're on a, a caloric. What would they call that? Sur- surplus. Surplus is a yeah. premium. Like not a premium. <laughs> like surplus. It's like, and I, I remember a couple of years ago when I was weightlifting. Uh, competitively and it's still in the game and coach mm-hmm. is like you need to gain weight so i'm like okay i'll gain weight and it's like you get to the end of the day i'm eating like five thousand calories a day mm-hmm. and it's like i'm sitting around like 3500 like four thousand calories that i've eaten and it's like shit i've got to eat like 1500 more calories yep. like oh my god and the people yeah. like oh my god it's so wrong you can eat whatever you want like you know, granted like when you're eating that many calories, you almost have to do it dirty because you can't eat that much chicken and broccoli. Yeah, just can't. No. So it's like you're just you're eating whatever you can get your hands on. Mm-hmm. And I'd be at the end of the day, and everybody everybody at work would be like, "Oh my god, you get to eat whatever you want. This is so not fair." Because they're on a 500 calorie deficit, so they're yeah. hungry all the time yeah. and they're cranky, and they're not seeing tons of results because it's only 500 calories. Like you you got to boost it up a little bit if you want to make better results but that's kind of the better way to do it long term let's yeah. be honest right it's more sustainable right mm-hmm. but it's like oh, I mean, you're so lucky like, no trust me it's not lucky you're just I get like the, putting food in your mouth like, I oh, get to the end God. of the day I'm full I'm tired of eating and I have another thousand calories yeah. to eat it was miserable yeah but there's those principles that carry between all of them where a lot of them will say like eat a lot of vegetables uh, eat clean foods now if it's like more fat more protein more carbs or whatever it is like they all have like general principles that carry between them yes and i just i don't know i thought that correlation was kind of funny but i've been in that situation where so i started that was another component that i think is really important is like nutrition shouldn't stop at the information on what you shouldn't shouldn't eat but how much and when yeah but i love the fact of like you're literally plotting out how it affects your body yeah, and how long it's going to take and those kind of things. That. People have no idea. No. I've looked at this stuff for years and I have zero clue. So it's so like that, that is powerful information. To I give thought someone. I was being really good. Like up until I was 28 years old, I thought I was doing well with food as far as like what I was eating and keeping it clean or whatever like that. And you know, you come to find out that no matter what kind of bread you get, whether it's the ancient grains, et cetera, like if it has gluten in it, I'm screwed. Yeah. And the amount of damage I was doing to myself that I had no idea about and like the years of work afterward that it took to fix that. Yeah, because unfortunately, like people want a, a quick fix in six to 12 yeah. weeks and it's like, well, stop. 
It's taken you years. Yeah. Years to get where you are. Yeah. It's going to take you years to get out of it. Exactly. Granted, you can make huge strides mm-hmm. in six months, maybe 12 months, something like that. But to totally fix what's all going on is going to be yeah. a long process. And I, like, I've tried a number of things throughout the years to see a benefit in how I feel. Because I've, like, I've struggled with chronic fatigue. And like I said, like, all this is a self-reflection. So I've struggled with chronic fatigue my entire life um, before I was even aware that that's what I was dealing with. So I've always been willing to kind of like self-experiment and be like, all right, does this help? Yes, no. And I'll be the first to tell people, like, if it only moves the needle 1%, I'll tell them it was 1%, but there are probably things that are better. Yeah, but also it's like if it moves at 1% for you, it might be 10% for somebody right. else. You never know. That's why you so, got to try things for right. yourself. And that's why I'm willing to tell them about it. But like I have been such an advocate for the food part of it. Not, um, again, like just the limitations of simple nutrition, but like go get tested to find out how it affects you, what affects you, how much it affects you, and then like what you can do to fix it. Because like literally from the day I found out and made a switch, I have not stopped feeling better. Every day is like a 1% increase. And and it's insane. Now, obviously, when you say getting tested, I assume you're talking about blood work? Yes. Okay. So... Like finding that out and then realizing how much inflammation you have in your system based on foods. And then it opens the doors to other things. Can blood work show the inflammation in your system or is that just like a feeling kind of thing? For me, it was always the the feeling thing on okay. um, – you can do inflammatory markers with blood work. It's not something that I have had done. Um, I've based all my reactions off of how much energy I have from it, joint pain, uh, muscle soreness, how long I have delayed onset muscle soreness after working out. Um, which is DOMS for you people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, DOMS is a really interesting thing. Some people get sore right away when they work out. Mm-hmm. Some people have DOMS, delayed mm-hmm. onset muscle soreness. And I very much have DOMS. So if I work out, I'm not going to be sore until like the day after and then like in the evening. That's when it hits me. That's when I know, oh, shit, I did too much. That's so it's, what, it's not an instantaneous yeah. thing like some people have, which is yeah. I'm jealous. But <laughs> I get mine like a day and a half later. That's another one that I have a uh, – I have some issues with with using manual therapy as a means of assessing recovery is the effect that it has on DOMS, which is a very limited viewpoint because DOMS is only one aspect of the overall recovery. Yes. Like when it sets in, how long it lasts, the intensity of it, etc. So if you have something that helps to decrease the amount of soreness you have, that doesn't mean that you had an effect on the other areas of recovery. You just had an effect on the health and the recovery of the soft tissue. Well, what about the nervous system? What about the um, the red blood cell count on the turnover for uh, the cardiovascular system? How much of an effect did you have on the endocrine system, etc.? Like, you can't tell someone that they are fully recovered just because you decreased their soreness. I mean, yes, it has an effect on it. Yes, it has a profound effect on it. But uh, using that is an incredibly limited mindset. And I think that's another driving point coming back to like if you define recovery and you have these other aspects that are involved in it you suddenly realize how limited uh some of the approaches are and okay. how all of them they need to be combined and they need to be uh more encompassing with one another and synergistically uh, incorporated with one another and that just leads to that much more frustration when you're looking at social media and you have these different devices and different approaches and different programs that people are selling and it's just yeah, like, again, a lot of that's just marketing. It's flashy. Oh, look at this. Check this out. Right. It's most of it isn't good content. Right. Um, so, 
All right, where were we? Because I'm a, probably about to go on another tangent <laughs> talking about social media that's completely well, let's, let's, irrelevant. Let's not get into the social media okay. thing. Let's, let's not go there. Um, so I'm having to talk with the advisor. Okay. And we're going over these different things. And you know, nutrition being one of them, like I said, um, the endocrine system, because I brought that up, like you have to be able to understand the effect that manual therapy has on hormones. Um, because it does, like good, bad, or otherwise. Okay, now find the uh, endocrine system for those of us who don't understand. Uh, the body's innate ability to produce certain hormones. Okay. So um, a lot of that being governed by the pituitary gland, but uh, estrogen and testosterone. So obviously um, if you can work out super hard, you can actually increase some of that. But if you work out too much, you can actually decrease a lot of that as well, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all about finding that good balance right. of where you're doing the things that you want to do to positively affect your body. Right, and so... Those uh, hormones, they're not directly affected by massage, but the governing factors around them, um, like whether or not you're in a sympathetic or parasympathetic state, are largely affected by massage therapy or manual therapy. Um, Because I've noticed that when chiropractors and physical therapists do soft tissue work, it's manual therapy and when we do it it's massage therapy and they just have to make that distinction between the two of them but they're essentially the same it's thing. all the same thing yeah. people what are we doing here i don't i don't understand that they have to have different titles for the sake of legality probably but okay if you hear those Fucking two lawyers things, yeah. damn it lawyers <laughs> if you hear that to anyone listening yes they are the same thing they're just done by different <laughs> practitioners um so you can have a very very potent effect on the nervous system with soft tissue work whether you're doing that yourself or it's done by a practitioner. So if I'm able to take you and shift you from sympathetic post-workout or the day after working out down into parasympathetic faster, you're going to have less stress on your adrenal gland. Okay, now what does that mean, going from parasympathetic to... Um, fight or flight to rest and digest. Okay. So normally that process can take anywhere from, say, 12 to like 72 hours. Now, there are some exceptions to it where if you go and you compete, you can be in a state of uh, fight or flight for a very long time because it's just a massive strain on the nervous system. Yes. And even prior to the anticipation of going into a competition. Yeah, and I can speak to that personally yeah. because I know that like back when I was competing in weightlifting, you know, we would do heavy days on Saturdays. That was a normal heavy day. We'd go in the gym. We'd all lift heavy. We'd take multiple attempts at like, you know, 90 plus like percentage lifts. I mean, they're mm-hmm. heavy, heavy lifts. Yeah. And I go into a meet and everything's structured and I've got all my warm-ups and everything's perfect and I'm rested, I'm ready to go in, I'm I'm firing at all cylinders, I'm feeling great, you know, other than in training, like you're you're beat up, you've got volume and there's everything else. Like I got my doms from the couple days before mm-hmm. and I'm all beat up and I come in and I'm taking these lifts. You would think that that would actually affect me more and I'd be more in that fight or flight state. But it's like I would go to compete and it's like you're doing all these things to maximize your your potential of lifting heavy on the platform. And I get six lifts. I get three in snatch, three in clean and jerk. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the last one might be a poke at a, at a PR. It might be a poke at like 98% plus. But most of them are going to be like between 90 and 95%. Make sure you get on the board, make good lifts, make yeah. solid lifts, um, qualify for other meets or whatever you're doing. Like it mm-hmm. depends on what you're doing in that phase. But it's like, but I would be wrecked for a week. Yeah. And whereas, like, if I would be heavy during training, again, I've got more loading, I've got more volume, I've got more squats, I've yep. got more everything coming in, and I'm going to come back Monday, and we're going to squat heavy. But if I go to compete, and I'm doing less lifting, 
you know, maybe a slightly higher percentage, but not by much. Yep. Certainly less attempts, if nothing else. And I'm essentially like unfunctional for a week. Yeah. It was, it's just how it went. Like, coach would be like, hey, uh, I want to see you like Wednesday. We lift on Saturday. Like, mm-hmm. don't even come into the gym until Wednesday. And then it's like, oh, just move around a little bit, do what you want. And like, come back in Friday a little bit. Maybe come in Saturday morning and kind of move around. We'll get back to work on Monday. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, you lift a heavy day on Saturday. It's like, get your ass back here on Monday. We're going to yep. train and let's do this thing. So it's it's amazing how much that competition has an effect on changes everything. Oh, yeah. It's huge. And people don't quantify that. They don't look at it very often. And if you can do that for someone, it's eye-opening. You yes. say, hey, you're going to be wrecked in four days. And they're like, what? And it's like, you're going to feel fine tomorrow, like for the rest of the day. And you're not going to sleep very well tonight at all because your nervous system is so amped up. Yeah. And it doesn't kick in. Like when people talk about Dom's kicking in like the next day and like, oh, I'm starting to get sore. They're not going to feel that sometimes for like four days after your competition. your system so ramped up. It is the, insane. All the, the effect, hormones yeah. in your body. Okay. That makes sense. The amount of cortisol that gets released because of the amount of stress that you're going through when that's happening is just absurd. Again, it's the fight or flight. Like, yeah. Your body is conditioned of like, oh, there's a bear. Yeah. Survive. And in your case, there's three bears for two different events. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the body can correlate that difference in his mind. It's just, oh, there's one big bear. Oh, shit. So when you do that with people and you help them understand, like, if we do manual therapy and we can take you from the, like, the fight or flight state that you're in and bring you down faster, well, then you go into the recovery mode faster. And that recovery mode is when you start to have the release of testosterone, the release of other hormones, IGF-1, et cetera. But that doesn't start to happen. You don't go through the process for taking care of inflammation on the body until you get there. Okay. Or at least you don't do it as effectively because you're never very, very rarely are you ever in like all fight or flight or all rest and digest, like under extreme circumstances, yes, but it's not very effective. So if I can get you there faster with soft tissue work, I've just increased the efficiency of your recovery because I've taken you to a state where you're now allowing the body to have the endocrine system begin functioning the way you need it to for recovery. Yeah. So I didn't affect your endocrine system directly, but I need to understand your endocrine system to understand when I bring you down into the parasympathetic, what kind of effect am I having on you and how am I helping you? Because then I can better educate you and communicate that to you on why you need to get worked on when. Okay. So the competition phase is like, it's a niche area of sports massage because if I work on you directly after competition, it's different than 24 hours, which is different than 48 hours, which is different than 72. Like, Yeah, but that also in, all depends on when's the next competition. Right. You got to take all so that into like, account. Are you a basketball player and you're going to have three days a week? Are right. you a football player where it's one day a week? Or are you a weightlifter where it's going to be once every three months? Right. You know, so it all depends, right? And uh, so the swimming and dive team that I work with at Akron, um, in the first part of the season, you know, I see them once a week. And then they're not competing yet. Now they came out of a long course season where uh, they're swimming and they're competing, but it usually leads up to one or two big events. Yes. And then they have this, it's not an off season, but they're not competing yet. Exactly. They're more just staying in shape so that when they ramp up for these major competitions, it's, it's less of a fight, right? Right. So you can do different work with them and also take into account like they're seeing uh, the school chiropractors, the school physical therapists, and the athletic trainers. So they're doing things. Oh, yeah, with I mean, them. they're college athletes. Right. So they're they're going to get a lot of the kind of work that you need to do to, to compete at that kind of level. But then when I go with them to the competition, you could have three, four days in a row that you have to take into account 
that training schedule. So with, uh, so with weightlifting, powerlifting, I work uh, with them quite a bit. Like you said, like you might have one competition every three months, maybe twice a year. I mean, for powerlifters, yeah, every six months is yeah. pushing it because yeah. of the strain it is in your system. Yeah. Whereas weightlifting, it's submaximal, so you can do a little bit more competition work but it's still it's hard to peak for those a lot of those you're just going to train through Mm -hmm. because you just need to show up again to get a total to qualify for something so you're not really peaking for that one you might taper a little bit so you're kind of rested but essentially you're just going to pretty much train through it right and then with the swimming and diving like we go we'll show up on a thursday and they're going to go have a workout that day and i'm going to work on them like after they do their workout and then they're going to compete friday and they're going to compete saturday and they're going to compete sunday and you have to take all that into account for uh, different events, um, different goals that they're going through. Cause you could have someone who really wants to hit a PR mid season in order to qualify for, uh, going to nationals because like that, they just happens to be the right time that the coach wants to try and do it. Yeah. And normally it doesn't, but that could happen. And you have to suddenly be like, all right, we're doing this now. Yep. And if you don't understand those different nuances, then it becomes, I won't, it's not difficult to do it, but you're flying blind. I mean, it's, it's like it's like you said before. It's like if you don't understand where they're at and where they're going, you can actually hurt them by putting them in the wrong kind of state with their right. endocrine system, right? Right. And so now, instead of helping them recover faster, now you're putting more stress on their body and they're not going to recover. They're not going to perform as well. And then you have to make sure that you're taking into account all the other people that are working on them as well. Because so you, that, that's the hard part yeah. is knowing everything. People talk about that a lot with MMA. If they don't have like an actual head coach that talks to the jujitsu coach and the kickboxing coach and the boxing coach and the mm-hmm. wrestling coach and all the strength and conditioning coach and all mm-hmm. those people, they they could literally be all shooting themselves in the foot. Right. You know, so they don't have somebody who's programming everything. Whereas I think that's that I think that's what sets you apart from other people that I've heard talk about these things is you you try to take that all into account mm-hmm. instead of just Oh, well, you're hurt, so I'll work on you a little bit. Right. Or, oh, you'll do, we'll do this, and ah, we'll try some therapy and see what works and what doesn't. And you know, I, I love that approach. It's so good because it's, it's what's needed. I feel like that's the – now, I say the term like nervous system management, but it's that all-encompassing aspect because a lo- almost all of it comes back to the idea like how well you can manipulate the nervous system or like assist the nervous system because it's the governing force on how everything acts. Um, but – to say that it can be viewed in a limited perspective because like you hear nervous system and you're like, Oh, you're just affecting that. It's like, no, I'm using the manipulation or the management of the nervous system to take in all of these other factors, which includes what other soft tissue work are you doing? What other training are you doing? The strength and conditioning work, um, the self-care work, your sleep quality, the food quality, et cetera. And how does that affect your nervous system and how can we manage that effectively to get, the best level of recovery for you for what you need. Um, yeah, uh, it's fun. I kinda... <laughs> well, it sounds interesting. I mean, it's like, what other big factors have you put into your spreadsheet and your recovery program at the moment besides, obviously, your soft tissue work, your endocrine system work, nutrition, everything else? Is there anything else like big that kind of goes into it? Or those kind of like the, the big ones that go in? Uh, biochemistry, uh, neuromechanics. Um biomechanics is a big one the efficiency of the body and how it moves is huge okay um and i don't think that's another thing that i've started offering because i used to 
I mean, we talked about before, like I used to coach movement as far as like uh, running mechanics and agility and uh, jumping and power and stuff like that well, with like middle school and high schoolers. And at that point, when you're working with them, you're increasing efficiency just because they move so poorly. Yes. But then I realized, you know, because I enjoy doing it, like I would look for ways to utilize that background. So when I would watch someone, um, and they were doing CrossFit, I was like, can I help you out with your gymnastics? Because I have a gymnastics background. And those two ideas of like, hey, I used to help kids with their biomechanics and I know how to do gymnastics and I can make you more efficient. But I never thought about it from a recovery standpoint. Okay. Um, and then working with Dan Bell at Rubber City Weightlifting and Justin Oliver at Unrivaled Strength, like you start learning aspects of what the movement should look like for weightlifting, for powerlifting. And going, hey, I'm noticing blank. Is that, a, is that an issue with their weightlifting? Well, yeah, that should be more like, you know, A, B, or Z. And then saying, hey, I think it might be a limitation with their soft tissue. Uh, it could be like lat tightness. It could be something going on the front delt, anything like that. If I were able to fix that, would that make them a better lifter? He's like, well, yeah, because I would put them in a more efficient position. So if I can then take that concept of teaching efficiency from the biomechanics standpoint, I learned that like you put a lot less strain on the body. And if you put less strain on the body, you have less that you have to recover from. And if you have less that you recover from, then you're going to come back faster, which means that you can train not necessarily more often, but um, more effectively. So it started with this idea, well, I shouldn't say started, but like turned into at one point this idea of, hey, help, let me help you reduce the risk of injury because you're going to move more effectively. And then that turned into, instead of worrying about the injury standpoint, like why don't we just figure out how to make you move more effectively from a biomechanic standpoint so that you can just get better and never have to worry about the injury to begin with. Yeah. Like instead of just saying like, Hey, we're going to avoid dropping off of the baseline. We're going to like move your baseline because you're moving better. Um, and that one is so much fun because you get to watch people and just like as a puzzle go like, well, this is going on. And then you just like either go up or down the chain. Yeah. What's, it, what's causing that to happen? Yeah. Whereas like, I know like I can look at somebody and I can tell, where they're moving wrong that it's not efficient, especially like in weightlifting. I've seen it so much working with coach for the last six years. You know, it's like, I've got a pretty good eye for it now, but I don't understand like the, the, the depth that you understand of like how the, how the body efficiently works and what could be causing that. Mm -hmm. is, is it lat tightness? Is it this? I just look at it like, Oh, well they're not, they're not moving proper. They're, right. not, they're not getting into good positions. They don't have a good front rack or they don't get the bar overhead efficiently. It's too far forward and therefore causing stress on their front delts and their pecs instead of locking the weight in on their back, which is pretty common in, mm -hmm. in overhead work, especially in the jerk. Um, but it's like, I, I can see that. But to, to have like your expertise come in and like your eyes on that, be like, hey, I see that, and this is probably what's causing this. You know, can we help to fix this? Like, that's amazing. I think that's what makes it such a unique uh, setup that we have at the gym where I work, because I've gone to the two coaches, and I've said to them, like, I don't know the lifts the way that you know them, but. Would it be beneficial to you if I were able to look at someone and tell you where limitations are? Like, give you the why. Where, in times that I've had conversations uh, with other lifters in the past, you can see that they are hesitant to listen to you because I don't know the lifts. Uh, yes and no. Like, but how much of that is just ego? It could be. And that, like, could oh, be. well, you can't tell me how to make my lifters You're better. You're not a power I lifter. I only know how to make my yeah. lifters yeah. better. 
And yeah. it's like any good coach should be open to new ideas. Should be. be like, absolutely. How can you help us? But I don't find any of that happening. And maybe it's because of the relationship had already been established, you know, with the coaches from working with them. But there is this very unique feeling of acting more as a catalyst to what they have going on as opposed to an additional coach. And that's a, a concept that ended up carrying over into what I was writing where I feel like a lot of what I do works in like a catalytic manner where it enhances the overall process. It doesn't necessarily make it something different. Like we're not going to go off in this direction. We're going to keep the same direction that you're going like with your training and everything. I'm just going to make it work so much more efficiently. And you can keep doing what you're doing and you will eventually get from A to B. But I can get you there faster. More efficiently. More efficiently. And hopefully with less injury. With less injury, yeah. It's like your choice on what you want to do. You're going to get from A to B in one manner or another. Like the coach is there. They're very good at what they do. They're going to get you there um, if you listen to what they do, which is a different conversation because not all lifters feel like listening. That's pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like we can do that or – we can implement these other things right here and we're going to get from A to B way more efficiently. Your choice. Like, which one do you want to do? And that, I mean, that leads into a, a different tangent of like the conversation where you have to be able to like put your own ego aside when they say no. And it's like, all right, that's you. That's that's your choice. That's what you're deciding. Yeah. And that's often very difficult to hear because like I got in to help people. I, I really did. Like I, I, one of the first sentence that I wrote in this, what turned into like, what do they call it? Like the codus operandum? Like what is your code of operating? Like what is what really drives you? Is I wrote like, I have a particular luxury that I love what I do. Like I get to go do a job that I'm incredibly passionate about and I'm excited and I'm grateful. Like every time I get to go work on someone. So when I see something, that I can fix, that I can make more efficient. Um, I get a sense of gratitude in being able to offer that to someone. I don't need to get anything out of it other than helping. And then when they say no, it's like, oh, you, I don't get to help you. <laughs> and you have, you really have to learn how to accept that. And that that was difficult. That was hard. It's certainly not going to be an easy thing to hear, but I mean. Some people are stubborn. They have their reasons. Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe it's a good reason. Maybe it's maybe it's not. Oh, who knows? Mm -hmm. Time will tell at that point. But I mean, there's not much else you can do about that. You just have to abide by their wishes and kind of step back a little bit, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. but, you know, help out wherever you can. Obviously, is a good thing. So, where is this whole uh, program uh, for recovery that you've like kind of reinvented? We'll say, and like, is that still just like in the um trial and error phase right now you're still like figuring out how to do it or have you like sat down worked it out like you're really happy with it and you're starting to like implement it oh and i i implemented it okay yeah. i had some beta testers that i was working with um some people who agreed to try out what i'm doing and started it at this point about a year ago okay with a couple of people saw some success with it and now i mean don't get me wrong there was definitely learning that was still going on of course this is kind thing. of the whole purpose yeah but um, during again, quarantine and the writing process and figuring out there was another aspect that I started to evolve and I changed the, the pricing structure that I had 
at Elite Recovery because um, as I started to implement other services and realizing that I don't want to offer them for the sake of offering them. I don't want to just like have shit to give people like, hey, you could do this and you can do this and like what, you know, whatever. I wanted everything to be synergistically related to one another. Like if you do this, this is great. If you do these two, you're going to get even further. So I don't want to offer B unless it has some way of helping out all the other components. I don't want to offer C until I figure out how it fits into A and B. And you don't have to take all of them. But I don't want you to ever feel like, oh, I have to add another one on. Like, oh, I have to do this other thing. It's like, I want there to be this sense of excitement in that if I do more, I get even better effect out of what I'm already doing. Um, so that took a while to figure out on how it all goes together. And I wanted the, the change in structure to reflect that. And that took a while okay. to figure out until it's just like, all right, we're going to have memberships and you can come use like anything I have. If you sign up and you do this membership, you don't have to be a member at the gym. Like if I have the toy, you can use it. I'm going to teach you how to use it. And if I have to be there to help you put it on fine, but you do not have to pay me to do that. Like you've already paid for access essentially to a recovery gym as opposed to a training gym. So as I get new toys or pieces of equipment, however you want to refer to them, I get excited. So I call them <laughs> toys. I like, what kind of toys are you talking about? Um, so there's the rapid reboot compression system. There's a vibration platform. There is the heat and uh, vibration uh, soft tissue tools. There's cupping. There is uh, scrape are scraping tools. Um, there's going to be uh, infrared light therapy, um, looking into other things and figuring out how I can do them if I need to get outside practitioners in order to be able to offer it. Because like I've tried to partner with physical therapists and chiropractors in the past and it just, it falls through. It fall, and I just, I get tired of relying on outside people. And until I find the right people to do it, I want to move forward with what I know to be my goal, which is, again, just offering as much recovery as possible. So instead of having people feeling burdened or um, in any way put off by the idea of like having to pay every single time, kind of like a, essentially you're doing a drop-in fee. Like no one wants to be like paying a drop-in fee to a gym. They just like sign up to be a member, come in whenever you want for as long as you want. I felt the same way. Yeah, with but the also having a structure and a plan written out by somebody who understands that is going to be way more beneficial than them just showing up and doing whatever they want to. And that's where the recovery program comes in, where it's like if you sign up for this, then for twenty five dollars on like top of that, I will tell you exactly what to do, for how long to do it, when to do it, and more importantly, how it's going to help you. So that if you ever miss a day, you're not just saying to yourself, like, oh, I missed active recovery day, but I'll do some stretches at home. It's like, no, here's the point structure on how what you decided to not do just affected you versus, like, if you just go do some stretches. Um, and, and then obviously this is the program is specifically written for that athlete. Taking for into their age, goals, gender, everything experience. else. It's not some blanket bullshit no. thing that you're just selling them. No. Like, oh, well, it's general and it'll kind of work. Uh, no. A good example of this is uh, um, years ago, um, my first, what I thought was my career-ending injury in lifting, I, uh, I 
put my back out. Um, what what the layman's term would be a bulging disc, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I went to a chiropractor and they did this like general treatment and they tried to sell me this crazy plan with all this money. And it was, it was ludicrous. It was mm-hmm. absolute ripoff. And I, me being a strong person, I had no problems telling him to go fuck himself. <laughs> and I walked out the door. I'm like, you're not going to pressure sale me into this. Like you do with 90% of your clients. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a different chiropractor and he used like some tool to manipulate me. And like, it was like a little, like a, like a jackhammer little gun thing. I don't know mm-hmm. what they call it specifically in the chiropractic world. Uh, but I was like, I didn't really feel good about that one either. I didn't know. Um, so I went to uh, Dr. Max, who's a great friend of the podcast. And I started talking to him. And what's the first thing he did? Ask me, uh, what do I do? What do I do with my workouts? How do I do this? What are my goals? Mm-hmm. He took x-rays. And I said, I hurt my back in a clean. This is what happened. And and we, and he's like, okay, show me the problem. This is the problem. We're going to get this better, mm-hmm. you know? And he does a hands-on approach, which I appreciate, but he specifically addressed my issues, right. which helped me get better faster. Now, would I have gotten better with physical therapy and just waiting and being patient and that kind of stuff? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. But did he help me get there a lot faster? And the answer yeah. is absolutely 100% yes. Whereas this drives me crazy when people say that chiropractors are bullshit. They just want to steal your money. Granted. There are some out there. Yeah, there are. <laughs> that was the first one I went to. Mm-hmm. And he, he does a general adjustment f- for everyone. Everyone gets the exact same treatment. And for 80% of the population, that works just fine. And for that last 20. But for those specific people who have actual issues, or maybe you're competitive like myself, or I was, mm-hmm. you know, it's like those aren't going to work then. So I needed a very targeted thing for me and not just some general bullshit. So I love the fact that you're specifically writing those programs in mind with what they're doing. And obviously you're going to have to communicate with that person on a normal basis and mm-hmm. tweak it as you go. Right. So I make sure that if you're on that, I check in with you. Like right now I can do it because you know, I have so few people that are on it that one of the things that I've been listening to and learning about is like do things that don't scale, which sounds counterintuitive at first. But I love the fact that because I have only a handful of people that do this right now, I can check in with them on a weekly basis. Like I send them an email or I send them a text and like, hey, how you feeling? What are the markers? And I check with them. Or I mean, sometimes I just run into them at the gym and I can sit down and have a conversation with them, see how you're doing. And that's where the consult comes from. It's like some people don't want the recovery program handed to them every single month. All right, give me an opportunity to give you like a couple months worth of information Right now, in an hour to two hours, we're going to talk about all of it, and you're responsible for taking care of it. I'm not going to check in on with you. I'm not going to give you the information or the numbers and everything like that on a weekly or monthly yeah, basis. You're not a babysitter, right? Just people like, need to take care of themselves. But but when let, things don't work out, they need to communicate those so you can adjust it as needed. But the consult, I mean, if and this has happened with certain people who um, they're not members at the gym or they're not going to be there long term or like they're moving. So they come in and they have, because they're not going to be able to work with me on a weekly or monthly basis. They're like, will you teach me what I need to know so I can do do it myself? It's like, yeah, come in and we're going to talk for an hour or two. And I'll try to teach you everything that you would gradually be learning over the course of the next couple of months if you were to do recovery programming. Um, And those two end up going really well together because if you do a consult before you do the recovery program, I'm just going to have an opportunity to teach you in an accelerated manner and you're going to get off to a better position from the beginning. 
Um, and then the biomechanics, you figure out how someone's moving. Half the time when you work on someone on the table, I need them to get up. I need to see them move before they get on the table. I need them to get up halfway through. I'm going to need them to get up at the end and then do whatever it is that was bothering them to see if what I'm doing has an effect. So if I can go work with someone out on the floor, or I mean, hell, I've done online biomechanic sessions with people and they're like, how do you do a virtual massage? It's like, well, I teach someone how to do the soft tissue for themselves, uh, using whatever they have around the house. It's, which is like its own kind of fun because you can like MacGyver how to do like, soft <laughs> tissue work. Um, but I mean, let's be honest though. Most serious athletes now are getting this, this tools that they yeah. need anyway. Which makes it a lot easier. But sometimes um, I actually did one. I did a, an online session and I was like, do you have a lacrosse ball? Like, no. Like, do you have a tennis ball? Was, uh, we don't have one here. I was like, do you have a soup can? I can do a soup can. Well, I have a can of beans. I was like, yeah, green beans works. Let's go. Like, <laughs> you figure out how to teach someone how to do like a hip flexor release using like a can of green beans or something like that. And like, that's its own kind of fun, but <laughs> um, you know, whatever works. But it, sometimes you work with people and you realize like you don't need soft tissue work as much as you just need to be taught how to move so that you don't have to keep getting worked on every two weeks. Like you're putting yourself in terrible positions, which strain the body in asymmetrical ways, which are forcing you to come need soft tissue work. Like, stop it. I'm going to lose money by not having you come in every two weeks, but you know what? You're going to move better. So like, let's go out on the floor. Let me see you squat. Let's fix that. And like that in itself is far better soft tissue health and recovery than coming in to get a massage every week or every two weeks or every month or whatever it is. Um, so like I said, like everything ends up coming together very, uh, synergistically. And I, I didn't want to offer anything that didn't have that. Yeah. And, uh, so all of that starts up in like the next week or so and just working to make that happen. Um, but I mean, all of that, everything that I came up with was, it was during quarantine and shutdown. You just sit down and you write and you write and ideas just come flooding out. Well, that's, that seems to be a, a good thing that a lot of people talk about when it comes to writing. It's like you, you sit down and you just start mm-hmm. and just whatever flows out, flows out. Sometimes it's garbage. Sometimes it's crap. Oh, yeah. But other times it leads to the other things that are on your mind. And sometimes it takes enough writing mm-hmm. to, to get things out. You know, and I know people have always talked to me and it's like, well, you know, um, are, are you journaling? Are you doing this? Like, what are you doing to get your stuff out? Like for me, like it's the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like the podcast allows me to get a lot of things off of my chest. I'm thinking about things all the time, but when we sit down and record things like with my buddies or whoever, like you here now, it's like, there's times where it's just, it's time for it to come out. Like mm-hmm. this is what I do. I don't sit down and journal and do that kind of stuff. I probably should. And I probably should be writing and doing that kind of stuff. But for me, it's like, this, this is kind of my way of doing that. I'm getting mm-hmm. things out. I can go back later and listen through it, which is great. You know, where's the, obviously you can go back through and read your stuff like, oh, that's crap. We need to change that. Oh, that's an interesting thought, which mm-hmm. makes you think about something different. That kind of takes you off on another tangent, which is good. What I noticed with like there were the three big pieces that came out of it. And they were, you know, ironically, of course, probably not ironically. It's just like looking back on it. It seems coincidental until you uh, realize that. Like I was probably searching for a means of making these things happen and just never had one and then started writing and it came out where the doctorate level for manual therapy has been a passion of mine for years and years. Like I, we talked about that at one point, I don't know how many years ago at the gym um, for a couple hours. I was one part of it. The idea of having um, 
this different approach towards social media and the kind of the information that I want to put out there and how I want to resolve my issues with uh, my education to people, like who I want to market towards. I don't even like the word marketing, but you know what I mean. Um, and this this third part, which was the idea of being able to provide like massage for veterans, which uh, it's always been something like I think is very very important, and I never had a means of figuring out what to do with it because. From the scientific standpoint, you can say, yes, it helps with the PTSD effects, and um, there is a lot of uh, injury that just goes without resolve through the VA system. Um, so at one point, I know we had talked about this idea. A buddy of mine who was a Marine, four tours, comes back and has debilitating back pain, just terrible. He, go, he was in Columbus. He went to the VA, and they had a massage therapist. Or you know someone who's doing manual therapy. That's honestly pretty progressive for the VA, which yeah. is good. Um, and he said that the earliest he could get in was three months later. Like that's how backed up it was, and I was, I was shocked. Um, because you know I wanted again. Um, it's my friend, so I want him taken care of, but. That of all things seems like the shortest wait line. You don't have to wait for equipment to be available like you would for a CAT scan or an MRI. You don't have to wait for um, a particular specialist. Like we have far more massage therapists than we do technicians and doctors. Oh, for sure. So why is it so hard to get in? And I thought, well, what if there were just people who were just doing it? Like there should just be people who, like honestly, it sounds incredibly naive for me to say, but out of the goodness of their heart, they should just do this. And then I became a massage therapist. I was like, well, I should just do this. So um, I've always had this thing where with New Year's resolutions, people make them, and it's generally like I'm going to start going back to the gym or I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to do something. And I never make one on January 1st. I just start thinking on January 1st about what do I want to do and I wait and usually within like a week or two something comes up and I was like shit that's it so in the past it's been things like um, I want to increase the the paycheck of my life this uh, this concept of I want to increase what I feel like I am getting out of and giving back to life and not just like the literal paycheck yeah not the actual physical money coming into your pocket like, what's more important, like, to have made money and not done anything with it? And at the time, I was on a training trip in Florida with the swimming and dive team, and I was sitting on the beach, and I was like, this is fucking beautiful. <laughs> like, this is amazing. And, like, I wasn't making a dime. Like, I'm, I'm getting, uh, my expenses were paid for to go there. I'm not making a dime being there. And I was completely content to just sit on the beach, listen to waves, watch the sun and that's that's a a very noble thing to say but we all know that you still need money to pay your rent and to buy food and do those kind of things so like there's got to be a balance right and what the reason i felt comfortable being able to get to a point where i said that is like i was able to pay bills with what i was doing exactly i didn't feel like i was getting or giving myself opportunity to receive that type of feeling very often 
and I wanted that. More of the feeling right. than worried about getting a whole bunch of money to right. get a bigger house or a fancier like, what's car. What's my next or, level of success? Yeah, like, exactly. Keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, get more, get more, get more, and then do nothing with it. Or not have anything that I knew I wanted or to do Or just waste it on stupid things. Right. And you, you buy crap that you don't need to impress people that don't even like you. And realizing, you know, right, that feeling right there, being where I was, had nothing to do with increasing the amount of money I was making. Like, I could keep making money, and I didn't need to to feel that way. So, the professional business, yeah, like, I want to keep succeeding. I want to keep growing in that aspect, but I wanted to increase that. I wanted to look for ways to have that. Like, but so anyway, like, that's one of the examples for like what I wait around for inspiration and a couple years ago waiting around for inspiration and it kind of came to me and I was like, all right, I'm going to make a public statement. Like, and I put it on Facebook. Um, and then one of the coaches who was working at the gym at the time ended up, you know, printing it off for me, but it was like from here on out, I will do free massage for veterans. Like, and it's, interesting because there are a lot of veterans who don't want it because it i don't they feel like it's a handout and they're like i can pay it's like i know you can but like from one veteran to another no this is for me more than it's for you yeah um was like, again it's it's providing a service that's needed yeah. to the community it's not about the individual person if whether they can or can't afford it it's, right it's this needs to be done someone needs to do this mm-hmm. so you're stepping up and doing it and I had I said it in the statement like I have no idea how many people I'm going to be able to take care of. I have no clue. Now, because obviously you're limited because right. you still got your regular clients and you've got a personal life and everything else. So it's like you can't just 24 hours a day just be taking people. I mean, obviously right. you can't have asshats who are coming in and taking advantage of right. it either. So it's it's that fine balance right. like, like anything else. And there were there were actually there were a couple of veterans who were on the weightlifting team at Rubber City. And they would come see me, but they were very adamant about not wanting to take advantage of it, which I really respected. And it was through working with them that I figured out, like, okay, if you come in once a month, I can have a strong effect on what's going on, and I can make sure that it manages the schedule. But with more and more veterans coming in, it wasn't the overload of having people to work on without getting paid. It was finding a way to help them understand you don't have to you don't need to pay with that they almost felt awkward in the moment where i explained to them like by the way it's free and like i have my or my plaque that's on the wall and i just kind of point to them i was like this is for me more than it's for you it's on me so let me do this um and then as i'm writing realizing well, how do you how do you resolve that? What if the massage therapist was able? Because in my mind, I'm thinking like I want to bring other people in to be able to do this as well. But how do you convince another person? Hey, you should do something out of the goodness of your heart. Make no money on it. And as most massage therapists like generally struggle to get by, you know, from paycheck to paycheck, take a reduction in your pay by not receiving anything. So how do you pay the massage therapist without accepting any money from the client? In this case, a veteran, realizing like. So uh, having a conversation actually with my sister, and she was helping me work through this. And she goes, well, you could like start a nonprofit. Like, so realizing, get people to donate money at a like low amount, and I would be able to pay the massage therapist from that fund that is like $25 an hour, which, you know, to some people, they hear that, like, wow, $25 an hour, that's pretty good. And they're like, well, you're not doing 40 hours a week at $25 an hour, like, 
you know, you might only get a handful of veterans that come in each week that do it, but by comparison, most massage therapists are charging much more than that. Yes, because per hour. their their time and expertise is right. worth the money. But if I could supplement a little bit at the 25, and that money was only being used in the cases where someone could uh, verify that they had worked with a veteran, so you now you're looking at some kind of verification system, which means some kind of organization, which means some kind of governing body, and realizing, holy shit, like that has structure. That's just not, that's not me. Like that grows into something. And like in during the conversation, realizing as I'm going through that I don't, when I look at the massage therapy business and the recovery clinic, I look at that and I almost feel this sense of pressure in a positive way where it's like, I got to push. I want to make something grow out of this. I want something to come out of it. I've got a vision in my head of what it could be. And it's not time restricted, but there is that sense of like lighting a fire under your ass to do it. And when I think about the veteran massage as being that third part that came out of it, I could go the rest of my life. And as long as I can work on people, if I'm doing free massage, I'm happy for the veterans. I'm completely happy. Like if it never gets any bigger than me, I'm good. But if it does get bigger, well, that just means more people get helped. Yeah. Which means it's a complete win-win, which means I could go the rest of my life, like pursuing this one thing. Like till the day I can't do it anymore. And if at any point in time along that journey, it grows at all, I win. In this idea of for every therapist I get to be able to do this, that's another person who gets helped. And for every person that might be able to donate to it, that's another person that gets helped. If I ever get into a position where I have a fund of money that like came from donations and I run out of money, that means a good problem because there were enough people for that fund to be depleted. And it is one of the strangest, in a way, like alleviating sensations to think about because it went from this idea like, I need to help them. I want to help them. I want to put this out there. Yes, but obviously you're limited on your time and right. skills and everything else. And it's just, and it there's feels, only so much of you to go around. And right? it feels constricting because it's like there's this overwhelming amount of need in order to do it. Yeah. And I don't know how to do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, here you go. But what about this? <laughs> and it slides in front of you and it slides in front with the capacity to grow into something that has the magnitude to encompass the entirety of what you see to be the problem. And you're like, holy shit, I could do that. And it's like this pressure that comes off of you that says, you could do this for the rest of your life. And you will literally feel successful with any growth. Like that was uh that was a big moment. I would say. That was that was really big. It felt great. Alright, I'll tell you what, I think this is a perfect place to wrap up this podcast. We've got a lot of great information in here. I greatly appreciate your time. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, Instagram is usually the best one to see anything that I'm putting up. I do send things over to Facebook, but uh, EliteRecoveryMassage.com is the website. If anyone wants to contact me through that, shoot me an email. Uh, look at any of the stuff that I'm posting on Instagram. Shoot me a message on there. And What's the Instagram? Instagram is Elite underscore Recovery underscore LMT. Okay. And then that's the best way to get a hold of you. And there's also your website, mm-hmm. which is the, what, EliteRecovery.com? Right. The 
business email and phone number both on there if anyone still feels like calling and actually talking. Perfect. And um, obviously, you are writing programs, you are taking clients, like everything's good. So yep. if, they, if they want to get a hold of you, go to the website or hit you up on Instagram mm -hmm. and uh, we'll take care of that. That makes sense. Well, Dane, I appreciate your time. That's a pleasure as always. Likewise. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. We will see you guys next time. All right. Well, that wraps up another great episode. It was so good to have Dane back on the podcast. He and I just have such great conversations. It's always a blast talking to him. And I love this new approach that he's taken, you know, looking at it from the whole aspect of it and not just, oh, here's some general basics of recovery and do the best you can. It's like, no, I, I love the fact that everything's uh, individually customized to each individual person. It's got a point system, super easy to follow. I love that, and I, I know that personally, I will be speaking with him as I've been having some trouble with uh, an Achilles problem, so I know that I'll be um, looking to get on board and doing some stuff with him and hopefully get this bad boy healed up. Uh, if you guys are still listening, thank you, thank you so much for enjoying, well, not enjoying, maybe you're enjoying, hopefully you're enjoying, uh, but listening to the podcast uh, it means the world to me. I love to see the numbers. I love to see uh, the podcast growing and the, the views go up and up and up and up. It's a lot of fun, but I still need your help. If you could please go out to wherever you listen to these podcasts at and leave it a five-star review. That really helps to get bumped up in the rankings. And as always, you know, share it with your friends on social media. Uh, tell your friends about it. Tell them to listen if, if they you think they're not going to like it. I mean, who knows? Just... Let's get it out there and get it to some new people. Well, that's all we have time for this week, so we will see you guys next time on Uncensored Humanity.